Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. When we were recording our last episode, we got a letter that reminded me of something that we've said so many times on the show before. Oh. That everybody in the 1800s was out of their mind. I guess we've said that. I thought maybe it was going to be like, if you bought life insurance policies, you were a murderer. That has come up a fair few times, too. But a more common theme is that 1800s, specifically 1800s America, was a time where lunatics were running the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So before we get to our actual topic, I want to I lay the scene, uh, the setting, where a great number of those lunatics were, were out and about. Okay. The Burned Over District. Was that Chicago by chance? <laughs> Only for a couple days. But no, the, the Burned Over District refers to uh, western New York State. Basically the, the parts that are south of Lake Ontario. Okay. This was a hotbed of spiritual movements, new religions, and, and new reform movements in the uh, mid-1800s. And we've talked a lot about it without directly talking about it over the course of the show. Okay. It was ground zero for the Millerites, who we talked about in episode 33. Uh-huh. It was home to the Oneida colony that, that came up briefly in episode 50. Silverware people. The silverware people, yes. Uh, it was the original home of Mormonism. Oh. Yeah. thought it was Illinois. No. Joseph Smith found his golden plates in upstate New York. Oh, but then they came here. They came a lot of places. Yeah, but there was a thing with Illinois. Are you thinking about the uh, splinter group we talked about in episode 9, Great Lakes Oddities? Wait, nope. I'm confused. I'm thinking of Nauvoo, Illinois, which is where they fled like after they were chased out of elsewhere. Not where it started. Got it. Well, maybe that's a future episode then. Yeah. So... The point is, like I said, we've talked a lot about the Burned Over District without saying the name until now. It is also the home of our topic today, American spiritualism. The be- is that a very specific thing? <laughs> it is the belief in the ability to interact with the spirits of the dead. We're talking seances. We're talking psychic phenomena. And this is a story that begins in earnest with the Fox Sisters. Oh. Kate and Maggie Fox, ages 10 and 14, Boy. were living with their parents in a, a house that was rumored to be haunted in Arcadia, New York, and began to hear some strange noises in the spring of 1848. Mm-hmm. Again, to talk about how dense this region was, Acadia was just 10 miles east and 21 years after Joseph Smith found those plates. Uh-huh. The, the Fox family began to be frightened by these unexpected uh, noises. They called they call them the rapping, uh-huh. which makes this very funny post, say, 1980. Those rappers <laughs> of the future haunting us with their raps. Until one night, uh, March 31st, Ten-year-old Kate asked the spirit to pattern its rapping noise after her snapping her fingers. And it did. Yes, she laid down a beat. 
It wrapped out the girls' ages when questioned. They established code for yes and no, like if yes, rap three times. <laughs> and then rap, rap, rap. Okay, I want there to be a rap group called American Spiritualism. Yeah, all right. Someone make that happen. So this amazed their mother. She, she was entranced, enraptured. And news spread, neighbors came to see. The the girls determined through these question-and-answer sessions that it was the ghost of a traveling salesman who was murdered and buried in the basement years before the Fox family occupied the home. Uh Uh-huh. Forty years later, Maggie came clean on how they did it. Uh Uh-huh. This rapping noise was an apple tied to a string bonking around on the wooden creaky floor. <laughs> As we cut back to uh, 1848 rather than 88, their spiritual abilities were an oracular truth. Yeah. Unassailable wisdom from beyond. Uh, the neighbors wanted to immediately investigate this murder, this poor lost tormented soul. So they got a list of everyone that ever owned the house and through like process of elimination just narrowing down the window they figured this man named bell must have been the killer and poor mr bell was shunned from polite society in western new york forever sir arthur conan doyle whose habit of falling for hoaxes was mentioned in episode 45 Mm -hmm. uh reported the neighbors dug up the basement and found pieces of bone That's not uncommon back then. People were just throwing bones everywhere. Now, there is a record of uh, bones being dug up in the basement in 1904. Uh Uh-huh. Which means there were 60 years or so for anyone to plant any evidence that they might have wanted to plant. Yeah. Just, Just saying. Just saying. There is no record of anyone by the name that the spirit gave as its own ever found Living or dead. Mm-hmm. But fact-checking takes time, and and now we have the first people that anyone can think of that are actively talking to ghosts, and it's a 10-year-old, and it's a teenager in this creaky, drafty farmhouse. The uproar was too much for this little town, and the girls were sent to live with their elder sister, Leah, in Rochester, the big city. Where they get no sunshine. There's no sunshine in Rochester? No, my godmother lived there for like... Rochester, New York? Yeah, she lived there for like years. And they literally spent a year like marking how many days of sunshine they had. And one year it was like four. You know why? All the ghosts. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, those clouds are really actually spirits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the rain is their tears. So while they were living with Leah, she got her younger sisters to to give up the secret. And she essentially became their manager for the rest of their lives. Unable to support themselves, you know, three young women without advantageous marriages, which is good because one's a teenager and one's ten. They they found themselves uh, in need of, of someone to open their homes. And so they moved in with a couple of radical Quakers, Amy and Isaac Post. Post of like 
post-serial? They weren't that radical. Oh. Because, like, are they, like, the competition to Quaker? (laughs) (laughs) That would explain a lot, actually. The the Posts founded the Western New York Anti-Slavery Society and were constantly struggling against elders of the, the Quaker church proper, uh, the, the elders of the Society of Friends, over how worldly abolition efforts should be. Uh-huh. If, if we practice the faith, if we provide care for people and we pray on it, we're doing good versus actually we should actively campaign and we should harangue our uh, elected representatives. And by the way, our home is one of the last stops on the Underground Railroad. We, we ferry people dozens at a time out to the lake uh, to cross over to Canada. That's where the posts were at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they opened up their home to touring abolitionists like Susan B. Anthony, William Lloyd Garrison, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, all gave lectures right in their living room. Now, Amy and her stepdaughter-slash-niece, Mary, Isaac was a widower and married his first wife's sister, Amy, you see. Yeah, like you did back then. Like you did. Uh, so, so that is why Amy's stepdaughter is also her niece. Ah. Ah. Uh, But the two of them attended the Seneca Falls Convention later that summer in 1848 and signed the Declaration of Sentiments, the the first big radical document of of, uh, suffragism and feminism. Uh, Amy was signatory number 10. Oh. They numbered them. Now, the Fox girls were able to put the posts in contact with the spirits of the children they had lost. Uh, And Amy and Isaac became powerful believers in these children's abilities. The children they lost, like, like they tried to have children and lost them, or like... They had children of their own that succumbed to disease. Okay. As also was quite common at the time. That's that's very sad, but that's better than my thought of, well, she had a whole lot more nieces and nephews. (laughs) They just misplaced them? Yep. <laughs> you come to the white courtesy phone. Oh, wait, we haven't invented that yet. Ah, nuts. So this is how spiritualism first took hold among radical reformers. Mm-hmm. And the, the two grew hand in hand, side by side. Abolitionism, suffragism, equal rights of all stripes were associated with these weirdos talking to the dead. Yeah. Both sides of, of this entanglement had problems with that, did not always see eye to eye, and it was really easy for uh, conservative forces and and moderates to tar these reformers with the brush of, you're all a bunch of wackadoos. Yeah. Yeah. But the the deeper one got on one side, the deeper on the other. The, the more radical you got in your uh, reforms, the more likely you were to be a really radical spiritualist. Mm -hmm. Save that one for after the intermission. You'll see what I mean. Now, Isaac, as such a strong convert, became a medium himself. He published a successful book of things he learned by contacting famous dead people. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. A year later, we're in November 1849 now, and the girls had their big public show debut. 
Maggie on stage alone, summoning rapping noises from the spirits in Corinthian Hall to a sold-out crowd of 400 spectators. Yeah. I mean, f- yes, they were never on stage at the same time. <laughs> uh, the, the sisters? Oh, yeah. yes. Yes, they were. Oh, so well. That is well, not the trick. The two sisters. All, you Leah have, was busy. You could have all three on stage and it'll work just the same. They paid someone else. <laughs> uh, they performed through the week to this mix of believers and skeptics and church leaders decrying the satanic influence and people who just thought, well, that's something you don't see every day and then came in off the street to see what the hubbub was about. We had nothing to do tonight. Might as well. It is Rochester, New York, after all. Apparently, the place the sun don't shine that don't I heard shine. so much about. It don't shine. I always wondered what people meant by that turn of phrase. Uh, So on the second night, city leaders were brought on stage to act as observers. And when, you know, these wealthy, landed, you know, uh, uh, neighborhood watch types said they, they couldn't explain the noises, it set off an outcry and the Fox girls had to be smuggled out the back for their safety. Oh, goodness. Apparently, the first rap show in New York was uh, (laughs) too much. Obviously, it was a smash hit. Oh, yeah. So they played a sold-out tour across the Burndover District until they they had built up enough press, enough demand, that they could turn south for the actual big city, the Big Apple, city that never sleeps, but by gaslight because it's 1850. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, now, their tour was smaller rooms and for more willing audiences, and the the reviews were much, much better than the, the shows at the Corinthian. The reported results coming off as far more convincing. But, you might have guessed, they, they weren't using apples on strings. No. What made the rapping noises outside their parents' house? Rappers. Bismarcky. No. No. Uh... <laughs> Uh, our neighbor right now, because it really sounds like there's a ghost down the hall. I hear it. You hear it. The mic is directional. Nobody else I'm, is hearing I'm going to go with our neighbors just having sex right now. It's not Thursday. That They're... person moved out. They're on a different schedule. Okay. <laughs> Y'all just learned a lot about one of our former neighbors. <laughs> Every Thursday. Only on Thursday. Shook stuff off our shelves. So, again, the Fox Girls, with their rapping, uh-huh. uh, one thing out of their bag of tricks was a hollow table with this spring-loaded metal rod inside, oh. which you can see at the Rochester Historical Society. Ooh. But the big one, the bread and butter, the meat and potatoes, was popping their joints. What? Particularly cracking their toe joints. Yes. That's horrific. Yes, it is. Oh. Is it more horrific than summoning the ghosts of the dead? Yes. And I'd rather it be dead children than some girl just popping her toes on stage. That's nasty. (laughs) It's pretty nasty. How did they get it that loud? Well, I don't know if they ever played Carnegie Hall, but I know they did practice, practice, practice. How do you even pop your toes in the shoes they wore back then? (laughs) 
Uh, you see, you've seen those I've shoes. Seen like the shoes. you can't even fit like I don't know half a foot in those things, <laughs> let alone have room to pop your toes. So in New York City, they they set up shop in the hotel parlor, the, the parlor of the hotel where they stayed, for group demonstrations, uh, a cap of thirty people, and occasional private readings. This is how they got away with people hearing them snap their toes. Mm-hmm. They were all close. So one leading abolitionist had the spirits rap out, spiritualism will work miracles in the cause of reform. Wait, how did they wrap this out? Uh, I don't think they had much flow. <laughs> it's not a particularly rhythmic line, I'll grant you that. When Manuel Miranda <laughs> needs to get on the shit. Yeah. His next musical right here is just begging to be written with all raps. Uh, they also summoned the recently deceased spirit of John C. Calhoun, who said that he opposed slavery. This would be a surprise to anyone who, who uh, knows the living Calhoun, who said that slavery was an absolute moral good. Yeah. Uh, Horace Greeley, the newspaper magnate who, who popularized the, the slogan, Go West, Young Man, and Grow Up with the Country. Mm-hmm. That Horace Greeley. Uh, he later went on to help found the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. He was very impressed when he saw them in their hotel and became their sponsor in New York society. As a, a trio of working young women, they, they had a lot of engagements, a lot of travel. And for a time, Kate lived with Horace Greeley and his wife. Oh, that's kind of creepy. While the other two, you know, pursued their careers. So, well, Maggie, an older sister who wasn't originally involved in this. Oh, she's been involved by this point for well, a know, long time. Well, I know, now she is. She's yeah. their manager. Yes. But that's weird that, like, one of them stayed behind. She's now, like, 14 or so herself when she's living with Greeley, which means, you know, her older sisters are all grown and legal adults. Yeah, and yeah. she's staying with a weird old dude <laughs> and his wife. I didn't find much on Horace Greeley's spiritualism, except that when he was kicked out of the Whig party, a lot of the Whigs were like, and we're better off not having that ghost-loving weirdo with us. <laughs> so Leah stayed in New York performing seances while Maggie and Kate toured the Midwest. They went through Pennsylvania and Ohio and, and around the interior of the country. All of them married well, at least for a time. Leah married twice, but the one that stuck was to uh, uh, an insurance executive on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Uh, Kate married an English barrister for a short time. He, he died a bit young, which is when she returned to the U.S. to continue performing because now as a widow, she needed an income. Uh, her career was the longest and most successful as she incorporated all sorts of new and exciting spiritual techniques. <laughs> she practiced automatic writing. She could be having a conversation with somebody while her hand is writing out a completely unrelated thing from the spirits. Uh-huh. Uh, she also got spirits to sign their names on cards that were blank when she showed them off to people. And then, sha-da-da-da-da ink appears. Uh-huh. Kate, Kate was very good at her job. Uh, Maggie married Arctic explorer Elisha Kent Kane, uh, who traveled farther north than any human recorded in 1853. This was shortly after they met. Kane was never a believer, but he could also never figure out 
how they did it. He just knew that that Maggie, she's the pretty one, and they went a courtin. Yeah, a yes. courtin. He died in 1857, uh, tragically. All of those extreme uh, Arctic trips, they take a lot out on the body. Uh, this was shortly after they had finally officially legally married, because his family very much did not approve of her or her uh, uh, religious views, shall we mm. say. Kane had the second longest funeral train of the century. I assume just behind Lincoln? Yeah, and second to Lincoln, as far as funerals go, it, there's no shame in that. Nope. No. No. Now, plenty of debunkers throughout the years had their number. Like, their career lasted 40 years. Yeah. During all of that time, at least one of them was publicly performing. Often, all three. Uh-huh. Often together. Uh, at every stage of their career, people theorized that they were cracking joints. Oh. In a parallel to the modern skeptic movement, almost as soon as there was spiritualism, there were people offering tests and prizes to prove it and debunkers coming around. Uh-huh. And they often failed these tests. Ah. Like, they, they were unable to win a prize of a few hundred dollars put forth by a newspaper. There was a test where... They, they were seated on soft furniture, and their feet were put up on cushions, and they, the wraps would not appear. Uh. Women's fashion of the 1800s concealed everything they needed to produce their effects. Yeah, that makes sense. You're in a big, multi-layered, bustled skirt. You can slip off those shoes. Yeah. And... Press those feet firmly against the oh, okay. echoey wooden floor to that, resonate. That makes more sense. Perfect sense. Much more sense than when I'm like, how the hell are you doing that in mm -hmm. lace-up boots? Mm -hmm. Trick boots. Well, they probably wore like more like party shoes, <laughs> which were like slip-on heels at the time. Uh, there were other people found out doing the toe trick and exposed. There were accomplices of theirs who came forward into the press and published accounts of their methods, but it never stuck. It never, like, brought them down. I mean, it's not that surprising. Look at the world right now. If, if there are people who want to believe, they will believe. Yes. Yes. Spiritualism had grown plenty on its own, just on its own merits, but had a huge influx during and following the Civil War. Uh -huh. Like, look at the earliest strong converts they had, the Post family. Uh -huh. People desperate to speak to the lost souls of their children who died tragically young. Yes. Now imagine a whole country full of people whose loved ones had, had uh, just gone away and died, who knows how, hundreds of miles away. Yeah. The, the drive for closure, the, the drive for answers to all of these hanging questions. Wouldn't you want to know? <laughs> Wouldn't you be curious and then you see something you can't explain and then what are you going to think? Yeah. Jonathan Edwards and all the, the cold readers and hot readers of today. Yeah. It, it, all, it all goes back to the Fox sisters. Now, during this jet-setting career as teenage celebrities. 
you want to talk about parallels to modern day. Think of how all the child stars you can think of turned out. So they struggled with alcoholism through their entire lives. Yeah. Uh, letters show the people close to them worried about their drinking, even in the earliest parts of their careers when they were children. Well, I mean, their parents kicked them out to their sister's place. Like, that's going to do mm-hmm. some issues. Uh, Maggie and Kate's widowhood, Kate's pressure to keep making new miracles happen. They, they both had severe relapses. Their performing schedule kept them from ever completing a stint in rehab. Uh, one time they almost uh, got through, but they had to leave because their parents died. Aww. So there are arrangements to do. There are things to take care of. Can't do rehab right now. I have to bury my mom. Aww. Leah was in the press saying that Kate's arrest for public drunkenness was shameful and she ought to have her children taken away. What? Screw you, Leah. And Maggie would not stand for that and decided to ruin Leah's money train in order to protect the honor of her baby sister. Aww. So in 1888, uh, a year foreshadowed earlier in this segment... She took the stage at the New York Academy of Music and told her story, complete with demonstrations of cracking toes reverberating on wooden stools and floorboards, bouncing in those fine, fine acoustics. (laughs) Kate gave her full support from the crowd, and both planned on a lucrative tour denouncing spiritualism and repenting for their lies. It did not work. Imagine... If it's real. Imagine if you believe it's real. And of course, millions and millions of people in the U.S. and England primarily, and again, primarily the U.S., believed it did. You can meet any number of ghosts and learn any number of things. Every show is going to be different. If it's fake, there's only one confession. Who's going to pay to hear that twice? Yeah. The tour was an absolute flop. But the movement, the movement continued just fine without them. And the the rationalizations splintered. Uh So some said either uh, their contact was real and they just didn't know it. They thought it was, they were faking it, but they were faking it on the spirit's instructions. Uh They were, they were unknowing puppets. They didn't know how true their, their lies were. Or maybe they're frauds. But we can't be too hard on them because they inspired all these real mediums to come forward. Or maybe it was all real, and this is just part of their their inter-family bickering. The confession is a lie to ruin Leah. We all know what this is really about. It's not about the movement. It's it's about Leah versus Maggie. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, In the early 1890s, 1890 to 1893, all three of them died. Oh. With Maggie and Kate buried in pauper's graves. Oh. And that is the end of the story of the Fox sisters. That's sad. It's kind of sad. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and be back with another weirdo. Okay. Hello, everybody. Hello. We started by talking about how the uh, 
burned over district was this super dense zone of people coming up with new ideas and new beliefs and, and all sorts of new outlooks on, on what humanity could be and people's place in it and what effect you can have on the, the natural and supernatural world. Yes. On the other hand, people who have done, like, real research would probably say that the burned-over district wasn't really unusual and that the whole country was caught up in this major shift regarding faith and religion and reform. And they might point to a person like John Murray Spear from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Not Western New York. No. Uh, he started his career as a universalist pastor in Boston, and was himself a prominent abolitionist. He also campaigned against the death penalty and for prisoners' rights. He he was known as the friend of the prisoner. Uh, In 1844, at the age of 40, he was attacked by a mob and nearly beaten to death in Portland, Maine. Oh. Uh, But I guess some people there did not like his abolitionism. I guess not. Uh, He later reported seeing strange visions while unconscious. Mm -hmm. In 1852, his Unitarian faith began to incorporate some spiritualism elements. Uh, He began practicing what we now would call faith healings, but he used the term magnetic healing. Uh Uh, His first healing was drawing the, the power out of a woman who had been struck by lightning, which then filled him with the incredibly powerful magnetic fluid. Uh-huh. He had all of her fluid. Uh, yep. Uh, that's how it works, right? Yeah, and he's going to do a lot with that fluid. It's 1852. Fluid everywhere. So, just a quick rundown on where we are in the timeline of understanding electromagnetism. We had the telegraph, and we had the dynamo, and there were some lovely electric inventions. Uh-huh. But we didn't have Maxwell's theories of what the heck it was, or a model of the atom, or a network that could put electricity in your home. So everybody knew it was a power that could do incredible things invisibly at a distance, but no idea of what it couldn't do, or what it was made of. Such as fill a woman with fluid. In 1852, what else is lightning but electrofluid? Not fluid. <laughs> By the way, his healings cost half a guinea, according to his Ooh. his business card, which what? does survive. What is a guinea? How much is that? How much is that? I mean, it's not free. So uh, as much as I might like his crusade for prison reform, I gotta say I don't entirely align with John Murray Spears' politics. I'm curious what a guinea <laughs> is, though. But yes, the, the point I was making about electricity and magnetism... Again, if you want to draw parallels to contemporary spiritualism or, or New Ageism, you can think of it as the, the quantum phase fi- vibrations of the day. <laughs> Just a, a pseudoscience word that we can throw in. And you don't know it doesn't mean anything. You don't. So a- as his magnetic healings started to become a part of, of his practice and faith. So did the fact that he was supported by various spirit guides, including his namesake, John Murray, Benjamin Franklin, for, uh, was a big one, 
Uh, also Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Rush, a whole lot of other notable names. Just the, the patriot hero who's who were his spirit guides. Yeah. Uh, John Murray, if you don't recognize the name, was the founder of the Universalist Church. Oh. Yeah. Ben Franklin announced himself to Spear on April 1st. Uh-huh. Which is a very Ben Franklin thing to do, I suppose. Yeah. Now, if, if you'll recall the, the Fox sisters' first reading when they were pranking their mother and then they were terrified of what would happen once the neighbors came over and they got in trouble for lying to their mother and then it was how they fed their starving selves and sisters so they had to keep up and but way back when it was just a little white lie was the night before april 1st and when they were testing the waters like hey mom wouldn't it be weird if this was all just a prank you know it's it's april fool's eve but she's like why are the ghosts testing us on such a day? So, like, it, that didn't work. Uh, just a fun parallel uh, coincidence between I, the two cases we're I, covering today. I didn't know April Fool's Day went back that far. <laughs> as long as there have been fools and April, I suppose. So John Murray Spear uh, played a move that we've seen before, uh, publishing a book of wisdom from beyond. In this case, it, it was... Things told to him by John Murray. Uh-huh. The, the first John Murray. Uh, the Universalist Church revoked his position. He was no longer uh, uh, any sort of official pastor of theirs. But he and his, the followers that he gained continued on without them. They're, they're doing fine. We don't need your name. We'll just do our own church. So he called his spirit guides the Congress of Electrizers. Oh, God. And set to work sharing their wisdom and guidance through him as their mouthpiece. Their goal was to elevate human society through greater technology and morality, and Spear would be the spearhead. Uh huh. Yeah, they, they've got some mileage out of that uh, wordplay back when he was in good with the Universalists and, and a big part of like their radical abolitionism. Yeah, there are so many jokes I could be making, but this is a family show as well. Just want to put that out there. Okay, keep trying to think of rappers and failing. Okay. Okay. I'll do that instead. The shows he would put on, his his lecture tour, which is basically theater, mm-hmm. uh, involved John Murray Spear up in front of everyone entering a trance, and then one of his guides would animate the body in order oh. to deliver a lecture. So he would give speeches on scientific topics that he had no formal education in, because it wasn't him doing it, it was some expert. Yeah, and books don't exist. It's Jefferson saying all of this, you know. There's no way you can get that knowledge anywhere in the world. Uh, He described all sorts of electrical wonders for people to invent, like a thinking machine, an electric airship, a psychic telegraph, that's a fun one, uh, an, Im- an improved sewing machine, very practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all of these things that uh, uh, Ben Franklin would have invented if he merely had the, the years. Mm-hmm. And some that he couldn't have invented without this additional wisdom that comes from being beyond the veil. Uh, his guides also spoke on the issues of the day. Apparently, Thomas Jefferson became a radical abolitionist after he died. Really? 
Again, unlike the living Jefferson. Who had a lot of slaves. Mm, Big fan of them, actually. His reformism expanded to advocate for birth control, for free love, for an end to traditional marriage. Goodness, Thomas Jefferson. After death is doing good for you, I guess. Jefferson's free love doesn't really count because he did pay for, you know, all of the women. Yeah, I know. Uh, but this one might have been more spear. Or might maybe, you know, the, the Council of Electrizers as a whole was, was telling him this stuff. At that point, even, you know, the mainstream core of the spiritualists and women's rights activists are gonna gonna take a step back and, and splinter away. These darn hippies. All the Seneca Falls crew is like, we're just trying to vote and legally own and inherit property. You can you you you're you're fine. We're over here, you're over there. Just we're not we're not the same. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I bring up John Murray Spear, this man who may be a grifter or may have uh, incurred serious uh, uh, side effects from his brain trauma. Yeah. The world may never know. To talk about his crowning achievement, the new motive power. Uh huh. That is the name he gave for what may uh, more accurately be called the Electric Jesus. That's my band name right there, Electric <laughs> Jesus. In the simplest terms, it would be a perpetual motion device that could grant power to every electrical device there is, but, but, the new mode of power is so much more. Uh-huh. He called it, quote, a grand practical movement for the redemption of the human race. Uh-huh. It could self-repair, self-replicate, and self-power. He, he said it would break the curse of Adam, humanity's need to labor to survive. That curse would be broken by this new god machine, ushering in a leisure utopia, fully automated freedom from want and need. Uh Uh-huh. This is Star Trek. He invented Star Trek. He did. And all I can say is whoever writes a musical about this, it's called Electric Jesus. It's definitely called Electric Jesus. But then, once the new motive power is birthed into the world... Weary humanity could lay down their tools and open themselves to the spirits and enjoy direct communication to the new motive power that Spear enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Even the name harkens to classical philosophy. All, all of these old people in robes calling God the prime mover. Well, now we have a new mover. God has been replaced by machinery. Uh-huh. So Spear entered daily trances for a period of nine months, his spirit guides sketching out detailed designs through his hand. Once it was designed, it had to be built, and the raw materials cost his followers about $2,000. We're talking around $56,000 in contemporary buying power. That's a lot of money. The design was meant to imitate the human body at least in an allegorical sense, insofar as involuntary motion is concerned. There was a, a thinking part, and a moving part, and a part that's kind of like breathing, and kind of like a heart part, but if you looked at it, it looked nothing like a human body. It, it looked like a lot of balls on wires suspended on a table, 
and s- some some precariously balanced arms. Uh-huh. Yes. They built it out on a hill in Lynn, Massachusetts. How, how big was this? Not particularly large. Okay. Uh, the $2,000 didn't go very far because it was made of very expensive metals and magnetic plates. Ah. So it was built on, on this hill in Lynn, Massachusetts. Lynn was the former site of a shoe factory and also a Quaker riot. Ah. Now, on this hill was, was a, a cottage owned by the Hutchison family singers. <laughs> so imagine the, the, the Von Trapps or the Partridge family, except they also did skits that were all about abolition. <laughs> so you can see how he had, you know, them in, in his, his, his phone book. Uh-huh. Yeah, his pre-phone book. Okay. Jesus phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Andrew Jackson Davis, the biggest leader in early spiritualism, he wrote a book sort of presaging the whole movement that was published a year before the Fox sisters heard slash made their first rappings. Uh-huh. And he, he turned that into being, if there is a leader of spiritualism, it's him. Right? Uh-huh. So this Andrew Jackson Davis, he visits during construction and was pretty sure that Spear had gone wrong somewhere. Mm-hmm. And worried that his followers were being led down a path to ruin by a, a well-meaning yet mistaken man. Yeah. A new messiah, though, needs a new Mary. And here's where things get fun. Oh, great. Spear's visions told him to select Sarah Newton. I saw described somewhere as one of his followers' wives, but, like... Feel like she was a believer too, because she had to go through some stuff. Yeah. So she lived full time in the barn where it was built to create an umbilical link between them. Wait, she lived in the barn where the electric Jesus was built? Yes. Okay. To create an umbilical link between herself, the new Mary, and the machine, the new Jesus. Oh god. Yes. This this was a psychic link. Okay, I missed the part that apparently this was, like, a wife for the machine. It's a mother for the machine. Okay, a mother for... Okay, that's why. That's the relationship between Mary and Jesus. I I know this this isn't all familiar. (laughs) It's very hot here. It's really hot! It's so hot! I have ice packs on me! So the builders treated every individual wire with reverence. They were all pieces of the body of their new god, after all. Spears' lack of technical knowledge was considered a benefit, as it turns out. Because, let me tell you, once that thing starts working, we'll all know it wasn't Spears' idea, because he doesn't know the first thing about making an electric Jesus. It must be from the electrizers. I can't handle this episode. <laughs> so as as it began to take shape, Spear exerted some control over the process, only allowing certain people in to see it because he only wanted positive vibrations in in its in its zone. So so they didn't bum Jesus out. Good like, vibrations only. You gotta have a controlled environment. We only get one shot at this, people. No, 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 Steve. You're bumming Jesus out. <laughs> Go. George, you're okay. You got you got good Jesus vibes. So, 
After nine months of construction, the Uh delivery date was upon us. We don't have a record. Of course it was nine months. That's creepy. We don't have a record of what these months of rituals were to infuse it with power. But the, the imagination may travel down some familiar pathways as it was a, a free love fringe group trying to infuse life. They just, like, had sex with it, didn't they? I, I was going to say they had sex on top of it, and then I was like, no, no, no. It's they much just, too lumpy for that. It they, would be very uncomfortable. They just did it. <laughs> with electric Jesus. We don't know, and I doubt anything defiled the physical form of the new mode of power, but the cottage may well have been a rockin'. So on delivery day, the new Mary spent two hours writhing in labor pains, then touched- She was actually pregnant from all the orgies. Then touched the new mode of power, and its mechanisms began to move. Possibly. Accounts differ. (laughs) At some point in the process, Spear was inside this armored station made out of copper plates that were covered in gemstones and and filled with electrical batteries. Uh Uh-huh. One of my sources said that this was his position during the birth ceremony. Uh, Another said it was his position at the initial first ritual to spring life nine months earlier. At some point, he was inside the the battery booth. I, I don't know what to tell you. So Davis, this the spiritualist leader, publicly pulled his support of the project and the group uh, after the, the the big hurrah was not much of a hurrah. Because he got to stick around for the orgies first. Spear, on the other hand, said it was still gestating. It, it was an infant god gathering its strength. We just got to give it time, give it some TLC, put it in the, the holy NICU. Mm-hmm. In his paper, because again, it's the 1800s, if you have a belief, you have a newspaper. He called it the new motive power, the physical savior, heaven's last gift to man, new creation, great spiritual revelation of the age, philosopher's stone, art of all arts, science of all sciences, the new messiah. So he named it his list of possible things to name it. (laughs) And just decided to go with all of them instead of one thing. I want anyone... I encourage everyone to go find the nearest newspaper, see if there's a list of birth announcements, and if there's anything even close to that. <laughs> so after the this period of nursing it to health was proving ineffective, Spear had more counsel from his spirit guides that told him to move the entire operation to Randolph, New York a town that was known among the spiritualists for having a special electrical energy. Uh Uh-huh. He was not the only spiritualist dabbling in the electrical and magnetic side of things. Again, this strangely understood... It's the most real thing they had. Yeah. Of course, Randolph, New York, brings us right back to the heart of our good old burned-over district. Of course it does. Of course it does. So the new mode of power was shipped, reassembled, but before it could move again, it was totally destroyed. Of course it was. 
Was this a local crew of Bible-thumping Baptists who saw it as heresy? Was this a band of ruffians looking to destroy something beautiful or even loot the valuable metals? Ruffians and thugs. Nobody knows. Of course, the only report we have of, of this final chapter of the new mode of power is Spears' word, who he told to a newspaper a year later. Uh-huh. He waited a year. If you look at contemporary reports in the newspapers of Randolph, New York, all of them, or rather both of them, they mention no part of the story. There's no story about a new madman coming to town, or the upcoming exhibition of a new god invented (laughs) by the hands of man, which is such a sea change in the philosophy of existence, right? How many science fiction stories are about human people building something akin to God, and that just changes all of society? Yeah. I don't think they... You know, no, Spear probably knew. Reading his writing, he got that. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was so ahead of his time. But yet something like that doesn't get any column inches. Uh, neither does a furious meeting of angry Baptists or... A looting slash riot, all of which also would have been news. Yes. But following the failure of the great electric Jesus, Spear married the mother of his son. It was a free love group, after all. He had Uh to divorce his wife in order to legitimize his son. Uh, And performed seances and healings in England for a few years, returning to the U.S., to San Francisco, and later Philadelphia. The spirits told him to retire in uh, 1872, and he died in 1887. Summing up his life as, as an old man looking back on it, he said, quote, I've been helped to see that beyond the clouds that were round about me, there was a living, guiding, intelligent, beneficent purpose, the elevation, regeneration, and redemption of the inhabitants of this earth. Huh. He tried his hardest to institute fully automated luxury ghost communism. Yes, he did. 1852, we're talking about. Four years after the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. Almost 20 years before the Paris Commune. Yeah. He's going for it, man. He is. Freaking electric Jesus. (laughs) So, darling, what have you learned? I have learned that I need there to be movies and musicals. Uh Uh-huh. And everything about this. Right? Like, come on, Andrew Lloyd Webber. You did Starlight Express. Give me Electric Jesus. You know it'd just sound like School of Rock. I know. I don't want him to actually do it. Okay. (laughs) But, like, the weirdness of it seems like something he would do and be like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, in the 80s when he was doing more cocaine than he does now. Yes. 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 Um... Allegedly, no, I allegedly. I, yeah, I don't want him to do it. I want uh, this to be done at the Neo Futurists. Yes. Can we just, like, I don't know, tweet this at them and be like, hey. Looking Glass did do a show on the Fox Sisters. That makes sense. Yeah. I think this is an interesting contrast, the, these two stories. Uh, you know, the progenitors of this movement. Sorry, Davis, but nobody would have cared about your book if there weren't people actually doing the stuff who were really a case of young, vulnerable people who were caught up 
and like one thing led to another, like Dear Evan Hansen style, if you want to talk about musicals. Yeah. Except it became their livelihood and they would have been crucified by these millions of followers. Yeah. Like they could only come forward when the, the stakes were so high in their personal life and the movement was so big, it didn't rely on them anymore. Yeah. And Spear, who was, his story only works if he's a true believer. But then, what if he just did sell all the magnetic plates and weird zinc things for a giant payday? And it's just the weirdest long con grift. But he didn't make any other moves to get money. And everything about him seems like a real true believer in his own what may well be brain damage. Yeah. They're very different elements of the same scene. There's so many things that are so creepy about it. (laughs) So creepy. So like, mm, you guys were doing some kinky, kinky stuff with Electric (laughs) Jesus there in that barn. The machine itself, I can't imagine anyone touching except like with delicate gloved hands around the machine there was a splash zone i (laughs) i believe that (laughs) really no it's that they talked about it like a baby and i don't think they were that kind of of cult like i'm imagining some weird like handmaid's tale Mm -hmm. where like our mary here was forced to like sit there above him and birth is like all the followers are just there going like breathe breathe what and there's like some person that was like promoted to be like electric jesus and had to like baby cry whatever happened that day whatever these rituals were especially the final birthing ritual would have been a sight and that is where the eventual film version is gonna go all out i okay so that really really terrible version of uh frankenstein which terrible version of frankenstein the the new one that the the rape guy wrote whose dad's a murderer um max landis that's the rape guy whose dad's a murderer that's his name i don't know who that is okay now now you know everything you need to the one with helena bonham carter and like the robert de niro frankenstein movie he played the monster yeah kenneth branagh yes yes kenneth branagh was dr okay and there was like some really like the title was mary shelley's frankenstein yes there was really like grotesque like collection of like fluids from like women giving birth. Yes, it's the one that had a big vat of amniotic fluid. That's not in the book. Okay. That is not in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, though it is in the film called Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I just imagine them like going around and collecting like women's like amniotic fluid and then like (laughs) throwing it on this woman. (laughs) This poor Mary I feel like Electric Jesus. I feel like that one might have been in the accounts. But I'm not saying it's impossible. (laughs) This is a point that I I tried to weave in a few times. But just again, that the descendants of spiritualism are alive and well around us. Yes. Like, it, it has come and gone under many names and many guises. 
but just the idea that... Long Island medium. There is so much out there that we don't understand. So, therefore, let's let's weasel in these things that cannot, by their definition, be proven or disproven. Code it in the, the cutting-edge buzzwords of, of popular science articles. Mm-hmm. With people who want to hear something, I want to believe my sister's in a spaceship. There will always be a market for it. Mm-hmm. And when these people talk about what they do and are confronted with the psychological effect they may have on people who go to and, and seek them out, and they're always talking about how it, it's, it's about possibility and it's about... Uh, entertainment, or all, all these things to dissociate from the responsibility of the real possibility of psychological harm to grieving people. Yeah. Even that was common and present in 1850s New York. Oh, yeah. So that, I guess we're going to take a break and be back with a few letters. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Hello! We are here to read some letters because you sent them to us, and it only seems fair. So, we're going to start with Isaac, who writes in to answer the prompt I laid out for this episode. I wanted to know people's favorite fringe group, and Isaac's is whoever in the world believes in Time Cube. Yeah. Darling, are you familiar with Time Cube? I'm not. Let me bring up the website for Time Cube. Earth has four days simultaneously each rotation. You erroneously measure time from one corner. Earth body four corner time equals four leg mobility. Your ignorance of harmonic cube is demonic. Truth note, Earth has one day even if it stood still and four days in one rotation. $1,000 to anyone who can disprove the harmonic cube. And look, it keeps going. Oh my god, how many fonts can you use? In all of the colors. Ah, uh, oh, this website hurts my soul. I think somewhere in here, Time Cube is the one that just says, you are educated, stupid, like as a quote. Uh, but yes, Time Cube is great. And so is Hollis. Hollis is a cat that Isaac provided a picture of. Very cute. Very folded up on themselves. Oh, dear. Thanks, Isaac. Thank you very much. Uh, Peter writes in to share that their favorite fringe group uh, is the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom, uh, which is a breakaway state from the Qing state of China in the late 1800s, uh, who formed a rebellion against uh, the many regressive policies of the imperial court. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check out our episode uh, 39. If you enjoyed that this episode had a new Jesus, you might enjoy the episode on the Taiping Heavenly Kingdom having Jesus's younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter also, though, sh- uh, shares a cat picture that we unfortunately couldn't see. Uh, the, the link was broken! <laughs> But uh, shares that um, they are looking after an elderly uh, cat named Stina, uh, which was my college roommate's name. Yeah. Uh, yes. 
Is she elderly? If she is, I guess I am. <laughs> but apparently, uh, Cat Stina um, is constantly meowing for brush downs, which is very cute. Oh, that's lovely. Thanks, Peter. Claritic writes in with another response that harkens to an earlier episode. Her favorite fringe group is the uh, gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands. One fine cat wrote in about this group as their favorite Australian when that was the current prompt yes. way back when. But to reiterate, in August 2004, the Australian government passed a new law to make same-sex marriage illegal, specifically defining it as a union between a man and woman. But a few months before, the gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands was formed. They sailed out on a ship named the Gay Flower, declared their capital as a small camp called Heaven, at the highest point in the Coral Sea Islands, declared their leader to be king, and wrote a constitution that began with a declaration that queer people had tried to be included in part of society everywhere, were denied, and therefore formed their own country in response, because apparently that's what it's going to take. They decided to be as gay as possible. Uh, their national anthem was Gloria Gaynor's I Am What I Am. The reason the capital was named Heaven is because of the famous London nightclub. They declared all gay and lesbian people on planet Earth eligible for citizenship. They even were granted a top-level domain for websites, uh, rather than .uk for the UK or .tv for Tuvalu. They had .lgbt. Their national flag was, of course, the Pride flag. And eventually, the kingdom was dissolved in November of 2017, following Australia's vote to re-legalize same-sex marriage, a measure that we remember from an earlier letter Claritic here was a, a part of, of uh, passing. So congratulations to you, destroying a country. Mm-hmm. And thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us at... Uh, HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your questions so we can answer them, your stories so we can love them. Uh, your pictures of animals are always appreciated. And we also love getting responses to our regular prompts. Darling, what would you like to hear about? So our prompt for next time is favorite circus act. Ooh. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. And again, those emails go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Of course, emails aren't the only way to get in touch with us. You can always follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. At History Honeys. And while you're out there, we would appreciate dropping a line to the good folks at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anywhere else you can leave us a rating and review to, to share the love and give us a little feedback in a place where it's in front of God and everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Indelible. Yeah. Uh, you can also tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth does a lot. It's how a lot of you have found us. Mm-hmm. So keep it up. Keep telling those friends. Yes. I'm pretty sure by now our listenership is 85% baristas. Barista! Anyhow, with that, we have to go so we can turn all the fans back on. Oh my god, it's so hot! You don't understand! 
I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.